Cotney Construction Law is dedicated to helping the construction industry in legal, risk, and safety challenges. Welcome to this week's Law & Mortar with John Kenny and Trent Cotney. Welcome to another episode of Law & Mortar. As always, I am Trent Cotney, CEO of Cotney Construction Law, and I'm with my good friend John Kenny with Cotney Construction Law and Cotney Consulting Group. And John, we've got a lot of topics to discuss today, but uh, something that's been on my mind is one of the things that uh, I think is a consistent theme in the roofing industry is litigation. Uh, and, you know, going back in time, if you look at lot, a lot of the critical cases that happen, whether it's from asbestos or, you know, dating back to the 1800s with the asphalt producers, there's a lot of stuff that came out of that litigation that changed the industry. And in addition to that, it, it actually records a lot of the facts of the roofing industry in those decisions. So one of the things that uh, I was actually looking at the other day, and I'm sure you remember it, but back in the early 70s, there was the old bond ply system, the two ply system. And uh, if not the worst system ever created, it was probably up there. So uh, what was your experience with that? Did you ever put any of that down? And uh, you know what, uh, you, I think you were in New Jersey at the time. What, what was it like and what was your, your thoughts about it? I did. Uh, my family business, uh, my dad and that at the time actually put down quite a few uh, large roofs with that, which actually ended up in the litigation you're talking about. And uh, luckily, in those days, they were bonded roofs. That's a little bit before they got into the warranties and the guarantees. So Celotex, who was the holding company, the whole system actually ended up paying to redo uh, millions and millions and millions of square feet of roofing. And bomb ply, when it came out, I, I believe it hit the, officially hit the, the systems, came out on the market around 70. It maybe lasted till 73, 74, started having problems earlier on. But like anything else, they hit it. The biggest problem with it was it was an unreinforced coated base sheet. There was no reinforcement in it. Like the normal flashings, AB20s, and though the time all had a fabric reinforcement. Well, it was probably the greatest failure that came out, but it probably led to some of the more advanced systems we have today, because the whole purpose of that was to get away from three, four, and five ply systems and make uh, uh, asphalt-based systems compatible with single plies that they knew were coming on the market in a big way. So by doing this, the problem with it was not putting it down, not actually uh, defects in the system, as soon as you went through a freeze-thaw cycle or a very heated day in a thunderstorm and it chilled 50, 60, 70 degrees or more, the roof split, um, it split almost endlessly because there was no reinforcements to stop it. So that's where the lawsuits came in. And I remember fixing a ton of splits and roofs to hold them over till the litigations were done and keep them watertight. So yes, it was a huge failure. Probably they wish they didn't do it. But because of that huge failure, they realized that they had to use reinforcement in what's today is our modified roofs. So that was probably, even though modifies, if you read the roof report, came out earlier than that, they didn't hit the United States till about the mid-70s. So that's why people were a little uh, uh, apprehensive about using modifieds because of the failure with bomb ply. But once they realized the reason was the non-reinforced to what we're using reinforced. So so anything else, sometimes you got to have an Etzel before you have the uh, rocket ship. So that's really what it was. Right. And I think, you know, everybody hates lawyers, but I think this is probably one time lawyers were a good thing because I think what it did is 
kind of forced the industry to take a look at it and realize what is the right way to do things. And now, you know, we have better products as a result. So um, something else I want to talk to you about, and this is a common occurrence in residential, but I know it happens, you know, regardless of whether you're doing residential, commercial, or industrial, and that is job site cleanup. Um, on residential jobs in particular, we always get calls from residential roofers that uh, are having customers that have stepped on nails or, you know, uh, had some kind of problem where they've stepped on debris that's been out there and hurt themselves or it's hurt other, you know, blown out a tire or something like that. And, you know, obviously I try to kind of deal with it contractually. One of the things that, that I like to do is to say, look, you know, in the contract, in the terms and conditions, we always keep them short for residential uh, contracts because you don't want to scare your customer. But we're trying to educate them and say, look, we'll take best steps, uh, best practices to make sure that we're eliminating these things. We'll do magnetic sweeps. We'll do that kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, please take precautions, recognize that this might be an issue and you're assuming the risk if it is. Um, what in your experience have you seen as far as job site cleanup, you know, whether it's commercial or residential, what would you say some best practices are for our, our listeners? Well, is uh, definitely one of the first things you should do is take the time to put your tarps and different things around on the ground to protect it because you're going to get debris. Um, always try to clean up daily because what happens if you don't, a homeowner or the homeowner's tenants, apartment, whatever it is you're doing on the residential side, they're going to step on a nail and that's even worse than getting a tire flat. So. If you do that, and then, you know, one thing that works most, unless you're using aluminum nails, I'd like to clarify that because I've heard that before, you know, magnets work very well. Um, you almost have to dedicate someone to rake and, and do it. It's not an easy process, but unfortunately you have to do it because you're going to get people that are going to claim they have either flat tires or like I said, worst case is going to be stepping on, claiming they stepped on a nail. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. We had a claim a while back, residential roofing contractor just finished a roof up and, uh, you know, the elderly customers stepped on the nail. They were diabetic. They ended up in the hospital. It was a significant claim. So, you know, taking those contractual precautions, educating the, uh, the homeowner, the customer about the, the potential possibility. But like you said, really taking the time not just to do the magnetic sweeps because that doesn't always pick up everything. And uh, there's user error all the time with using that. So, Really what you want to do is make sure you have someone watching the project, going through, raking, taking a look at everything, removing the debris, even taking photos is a great way to kind of identify what the existing conditions are. And it's worth the extra bit of time because, you know, that's, I can't tell you how many times I've had a roofing contractor that hasn't received their final payment because someone has alleged they stepped on a nail or a nail blew out a tire. Um, so I want to turn now to um, a couple of other things that, that I kind of like to talk about. One is, is we've got a couple of large storms out um, in the Atlantic right now. They haven't fully developed, but we are in hurricane season. And in prior law and mortars, we've talked about everything from, you know, tarping to crisis management to all those types of things. What I want to ask you, John, is, is for our listeners, especially for there might be roofing contractors that are just getting started. You know, how did you go about um, monitoring weather and navigating production during storm seasons? You know, what are some things that, that you would do when you were um, in your capacity, you know, working for a roofing contractor that you would recommend that somebody that's maybe just starting out and that may not be from Florida, maybe from out of state, 
Um, where do you go to find information? What do you think is most reliable and, and what are some best practices? Well, you have good, good paid apps out there. Um, you know, NOAA is, you know, the National Weather Service is truly what they all use anyways. There's nobody that has their own weather service that, you know, they still go off of that NOAA now uh, through NASA. I saw a, a story this morning actually on the news and they, they're tracking it out of the Virginias where their new satellite technology, 3D satellite, which makes um, projection of the storms and tracking the sands coming off of, of Africa. They're getting better at predicting when the storms start. Example right now, you have three out there. There's a third one that popped up this morning, actually this afternoon, right off of Africa. So it's the two that are close and one coming. So what I always like to do, is, as I, I use no, I, I use the National Weather Service. I found that to be the most accurate. Um, if you're in the cone, you know, they tell you you're in the cone, which we usually always are, because Florida's not that wide of a state. If you watch the storms come, you usually can tell they're going to say they come on a certain day and they either get faster or slower, but most times they're slower. So a good rule of thumb for any roofer is if you can finish a job, if they say a storm is five days out, you can usually figure it's going to be between four and seven days. And again, you know, disclaimer, this is just rule of thumb that I've picked up. If you can finish a job, absolutely finish it. Get it done, get off of it, get it cleaned up and move on. You don't have to worry about storm protection. If you're on a larger project and you can't do that, I suggest you get as much roofing as you can installed and don't leave a large stock of material on the job. <clears throat> First of all, a lot of towns require you to offload it if we do get into hurricane watch. So the reason I say that is because it's going to cost you an awful lot of money to continually download jobs every time we get into a hurricane pattern, which right now I believe we are in it. I think we're starting it. It's going to continue through the rest of August into September, maybe October where we could be facing a possible storm, I use the word possible, every two to three weeks. So it becomes very tiring on the people that did it. So that's what I did. I monitored it, looked at the days, wasn't so much worried about the severity of it. Honestly, for a roofer, once you're above a cat one, you're pretty much anything that's up there is gonna blow off anyways. It's not gonna matter how you do with it. So you get it off, you download it, but use up what you can and get the roof tight. And, and I always made it a rule of thumb to stop all production within 40, 24 to 48 hours of a storm that we knew was imminent to hit the state. We would, we would just go into crisis mode by making sure everything was battened down, drains were clear, no dunnage left on the roofs, all the other things like that. That last point, I want, I want to make sure that the listeners, you know, rewind and listen to that again. That's one of the things, you know, when I've got my legal hat on, that's one of the biggest problems. You're, you're too focused on making sure that you're getting the dollars in the door and you don't take the, the time to batten down the hatches before the hurricane gets there, and then it's on top of you and you can't do anything. You know, something else that I want to mention, uh, I've said this in, in previous conversations, but uh, in your contract, you want a provision in there that says that in the event that you have to uh, basically demobilize or take materials, you know, rooftop materials off roofs or do anything like that to secure it, that you're entitled to additional compensation as a result of that, okay? Uh, oftentimes that can be significant, you know, residential jobs, not the end of the world, larger residential, larger commercial job, there can be a lot of money associated with uh, removing, storing, and then remobilizing after it's done. So take that into account, put a provision in your contract that allows you to, uh, to protect against that. Last thing I want to talk about, John, is you and I uh, last night uh, to the wee hours of the morning attended the first day of the Roofing Association of New Zealand's virtual conference. 
And uh, we were talking about it earlier. I was I was really interested in it. Um, one of the things I think we benefit from is being able to participate internationally in roofing because it gives us insight into what's going on in the industry. And oftentimes we take what we've learned and bring it back here to to our customers. So. What did you enjoy about last night and what are you looking forward to um, in the next few days? Well, it's always good to uh, get a perspective, um, especially sitting in, in our country in the roofing industry to see, see one, how others do it, the challenges they're facing and, and the outlooks they have. Um, one of the speakers I think was very good last night, um, basically a metal manufacturer for both uh, structural metal building components and roofing, big, big over there. But they also had uh, manufacturing facilities in Europe, Asia, and the United States and Canada. So they, they really had a, a pretty good handle on it. And when they were going through how uh, different markets were, you know, receding down and what was doing with the imports and different things, I think the most amazing stat that I got out of that when they were talking about um, what countries were using what as far as export-import, uh, I never, I've heard this other than that, they talked about China. Of course, China exports a lot of stuff to the world. We all know that. We import a lot of it. But what I really took out of it was the fact that China's importing business, which means that they're importing steel and um, metal roofing and that part of it has increased by 15%. So they've increased their sales to China. Overall, overall China's increased the importing capabilities capacity by 15%. So we don't really hear too much about that. We always hear about them being an economical leader as far as getting exports out. So it does seem like China is starting to uh, import more than they have been. And I think that was an interesting fact. I, I You don't normally hear that, but looks like another interesting fact was it looks like metal is without a doubt the major uh, marketplace in New Zealand. They're, they're probably the industry leader. Yeah, and um, you know, that gentleman, I think it was Robin Davies at Color Steel, you know, great, great presentation. I was glued to my seat, granted that was I was trying to keep my eyes open because it was late at night, but uh, very interesting presentation. Uh, I tell you, tonight I'm looking forward to seeing Reed Ribble talk. You know, um, I, I'm buying whatever that man is selling. Uh, you know, every time he speaks, I want to get out of my chair and charge up the hill with him. So uh, I'm looking forward to hearing what he has to say uh, from an international setting. And again, I think they've done a great job with their uh, technology and putting on that conference. So. I want to thank everybody. I appreciate you guys listening to us. Uh, as always, if there's anything that you want us to talk about, um, hit us up. You know, we've incorporated a lot of what you guys have sent us into uh, uh, future episodes. So please, you know, contact us right there at cottonycl.com or email either one of us. I'm tcottony at cottonycl.com and that's Jake Kenny, K-E-N-N-E-Y at cottonycl.com. So thank you guys until next time. See ya. Take care.